Man, I'm telling you what, it is so good to be back home. I, I, I have I, I preached in Kingsport, Tennessee, Thursday night and Friday night, Columbus, Ohio, Saturday night and, and Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday morning, and uh, drove back Sunday night and uh, was in a preaching conference Monday with two preachers and a preaching conference Tuesday with two preachers. And uh, I've had a lot of church last week. Say amen. I had an awesome opportunity Monday uh, in the preaching conference Monday night. Uh, I already knew Brother Jim, but I, he preached a message that I asked him, would he share with us tonight? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I want you to pay real close attention. I've been, I've been looking at a lot of stuff today and thinking about how close we are to the Lord's coming back. And if you don't understand that, you need to understand the Lord's fixing to come back, and we're fixing to go home, amen? But we're not there yet, and God wants us to give our lives. You know what we've been going through in the last few months and what we've been studying and what we've been reading, and I want you to, I mean, just open your heart and open your mind and pay close attention to this message, and, and he lives in Ohio, but we're not going to hold that against him. Say amen. We're not, what part of Ohio? Sydney, Ohio, and uh, and and I asked him if he would stay over. Is there Sydney, Ohio? Somebody, all right, y'all from Ohio? All right, all right. Uh, are y'all from Sydney? Hey, small world. See, Southerners can get along with you Yankees. Hey, Amen. All right. But understand this, the South will rise again. Amen. I'm kidding. On Facebook, I'm not a racist. I promise it was a joke. Amen. They'll take little clips of everything and, you know, anyway. All right. Well, let's, let's do this. I want to pray. I want to pray. And, uh, and, and when Brother Jim comes, you just welcome him like us, like we do in the South. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor to just be in your house and, 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 and be in a place, Lord, is, is spring break. And, and Lord, uh, there's, there's a lot that's on vacation, and, and God bless them. I hope they have a great time, enjoy themselves. They're probably watching right now on, on, the, on the, the live stream. And, God, I pray that you'll keep them safe there till they make it home. And, Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight, worked all day, they're just wore out. But they came to learn, and they came to grow and be edified. And I pray that you'll touch God's man tonight. Fill him with your anointing. Fill him with your power. And, Lord, just bless your word. Lord, it's the only thing that's going to make a difference in our lives. And, God, I'll praise you and thank you and give you glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Y'all welcome, Brother Jim, to the house tonight. All right. Man, this is fantastic. Look at this crowd here tonight on a Wednesday night. Praise God. Spring break. I love it. This is great. Now, you folks from Sydney, where are you guys at? Now, do you guys know Dan and Dodie New? Your best friend. So here, this is crazy. So I, this is, I wasn't supposed to speak here tonight. These people in my church were telling me about those people. Did you know I was going to be here tonight? This is crazy. That's awesome. Well, maybe I do like the South then because, you know, you can. No, I love the South. You guys are awesome. I am, I am so glad to be here tonight and just tell you a couple of things to start off. I came down, I can't believe Dustin and I were just figuring it out, four years ago, 
And your pastor and Dustin trained uh, me and some other guys in ministry, and it just helped us so much. And we're getting ready to redo some of that training in our church again. So you don't know it, but your church is helping a church in Sydney, Ohio. Isn't that a blessing? So praise God for that. And the selflessness of your men here, it's great. So let me just say that, and that's fantastic. And then I sang at a, at a revival in this church in 1994. I was the special music for a, um, a meeting in the convention center or civic center or something. Johnny Pope was preaching. Was anybody here for that? Was anybody here for that back then? And uh, I had, I was, I was, so I was in the clothing business for a long time, sold clothes when I was in college, and, and I got to where I wouldn't wear cheap suits. So I went back to college, and I got so poor, but I grew a little bit, I could only afford one suit, because I wasn't going to wear a cheap one. And it was this green suit, and I wore it for four nights in that meeting, and somebody in that meeting came up to me and said, i got to ask you a question. How many green suits do you have? <laughs> that, was, that was here, and uh, just had a great time doing that. But your church is a blessing to me, and I'm thankful for you. We pray for you guys. And every time I have a team meeting and we put something together, I think, I I have this question. I don't have a what would Jesus do bracelet. I have a what would Dustin do bracelet. (laughs) So we we, we try and figure figure this out. Okay, get your Bibles. And we're going to, this is a pretty interesting study tonight. Um, Open your Bibles with me, and let's start in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Do you all love the Word of God? Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now notice this. Notice verse 14. It says this, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now notice it says, above all these. Above all these. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 8. And above all things. Now, there's something that's really important when you study your Bible. If you want to know what God is emphasizing in the text, look at what he repeats. So repetition in the Bible is God's volume control. When God wants to emphasize something in the scriptures, he repeats it. So notice this, above all. Do you see that? How many of you see that in the text? Above all. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So notice two places in the scripture, what we're seeing is the pinnacle of Christian disciplines is charity. Charity. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's start reading in verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So now look at this. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. Now, if it was my list, all right, now be very glad it's not my list because I'd probably add some other things in there, all right? But if it was my list, godliness would be the highest one. How many of you, you'd kind of feel that? But it's so interesting to me. Notice what it says here. And to godliness, verse 7, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. So again, all of these things that we need to add to our faith, The highest one is charity. And what's interesting to me about this is you do not know how to love your brother, that brotherly kindness, until you're godly. You don't know how to love until you're godly. In the book of Mark, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one Lord. It's quoting Deuteronomy 6.4. And then he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. You don't know how to love your neighbor until you love God. See, there are a lot of churches, there's a lot of things going on in Christianity that they call love, and that love actually violates the Scriptures. So before I can know how to love, I've got to know God. And isn't that what 1 John says? The only reason any of us can love is because He first loved us. How many of you are thankful that God loved you? My goodness, I can't believe that God loves me. I can't believe my mom loved me, let alone God. So it's really important that we understand that if we're going to understand brotherly kindness, we've got to be godly. But more importantly for tonight's study, if we're going to understand what charity is, we need to be godly. Now, something that's really interesting to me, and I I found it, whatever popular Christianity says about a subject, the Bible usually says the opposite. Let me say that again. Whatever popular Christianity says about a subject, the Bible probably says the opposite. We find that in the words that we use in Christianity. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, How many of you have ever heard of doing your devotions? Right? People choose that word devotions. But in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says that Paul was on Mars Hill, and he says, as I observed your devotions. What were those devotions? False gods. Idols. Idolatry. Why would I call what I give God devotions? Isn't that interesting? Here's another one. Have you ever heard of the church councils? How many of you heard of the church councils? The only, the only time that word council is used, or every time that word council is used in your Bible, it's a group of people getting together to stop God or stop God's people. Why would we call one of our meetings a council? That's interesting to me. How about... How many of you have ever heard of an evangelistic crusade, right? Remember what the crusades were, though? Crusades are where the the Pope sent these guys to free the Holy Land, and while they're in the Holy Land, any sin they committed was forgiven. They'd have these contests to see how many babies they could fit on a sword. They killed everybody. They killed Christians that were different. They killed Jews. They killed Muslims. It was horrible. Why would you call an evangelistic meeting a crusade? Can you imagine if you've got a Muslim in there and you're trying to invite them? Hey, do you want to come to my crusade? 
Isn't that crazy? How many, honestly, how many think that's crazy? This word, charity, is just like that. So, here, I'll give you an example. If I asked you what is the, just a, a basic understanding of the word charity, we would say giving money to the poor. How many would you agree that that's just a basic understanding of what charity is? That is not what the Bible says about charity. What we're going to find is that doesn't have anything to do with charity, scripturally. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take some time, and I've got three points in this sermon. Charity distorted, charity defined, and charity demonstrated. Charity distorted, charity defined, and charity demonstrated. Let me talk to you about how charity has been distorted. And a good way to do this is go to uh, 1 Thessalonians. Let me see if it's first or second. Yeah, look at 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 3, you know, oh, I'm in Colossians, that's why I can't find it. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and look at verse 10. Second, it would be so funny if somebody was writing these notes in their Bible, you're going to have six different cross outs in that one section. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you. Now, read the rest of this verse with me out loud. You ready? That if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, how many of you remember being raised that way? Our world, and especially the liberal Christian world, does not believe that verse. They don't believe it. They believe that if you believe that, then you're a hateful person, that you don't have love. But again, you don't know what brotherly kindness is unless you have godliness. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my words. Now, we all know if you love me, keep my commandments, right? I quote that verse to my wife all the time, but it doesn't help. If you love me, keep my commandments. We know that verse, but later in the chapter, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my words. If we're going to understand what God wants us to do, we need to love every word of God, and we need to know what God says about this subject of charity. If a man would not work, neither should he eat. Now, it's interesting. The Bible does say this, as you have opportunity... Do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. So what does that mean? That means if you've got somebody faithful here at the church and they're going through a struggle financially, well, that's when the church is supposed to come alongside them and help them. Amen? Amen? But if somebody comes and says, I don't want to work, it's your job to feed me. No, it's not. My wife's church secretary, and I walked in one day, and somebody had called, and they said, uh, do you pay electric bills? She said, well, we pay ours. <laughs> See, 
People get this idea that it's the church's responsibility to pay their bills. Where did we get that idea? We got that idea because this subject of charity has been distorted. Where did it get distorted? There was a man, his name was Walter Rauschenbusch. He died in 1918. He was a Baptist preacher, Baptist theologian, and he had been influenced by what's called German higher criticism. He actually pastored a German Baptist church. And German higher criticism, it questioned the authority of the Word of God. And I'm sure some of you have studied that and looked at that. So he bought into that, and he no longer believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful Jesus paid for my sins. I'm so thankful that he tasted death for every man. I'm so thankful that he, I am purged from my sins. My sins aren't covered by the blood. My sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was my substitute on that cross. Rauschenbusch didn't believe that. He didn't think that Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins. He believed that Jesus Christ, or to pay for individual sins. He believed that Jesus died to pay for society's sins. So he wrote a book in 1907 called The Social Crisis. And then in 1917, he wrote a book called The Theology for the Social Gospel. How many of you have heard of that word, the social gospel? Have you heard of that? That came from Walter Rauschenbusch. That has affected almost every church. And it's affected almost every church's understanding of how to deal with the poor. Now, remember what Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Why is that? Let me just tell you, because some people are not very good at life. Now, listen, where we live, our economy is really strong. Is the economy strong here in Coleman? I don't know. Okay. So where we live, the economy is strong. We always say a dead man can get a job in Sydney. Right? We're overemployed. You know that when you go to McDonald's. You know, your, your service isn't great. Right? They have jobs. People have jobs that probably might not ought to have them. And, and so we understand that if we're going to work, we're going to eat. That's, that's the idea. And here in the United States of America, where we have an economy that's primarily based on biblical principles, if you work hard, and you live within your means, and you honor God with your finances, you're not going to be poor. By American standards, you might be poor. By the rest of the world standards, you're not going to be poor. Right? Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, years ago, he, he wrote a book, uh, uh, What's So Great About America? And in it, he had a friend who was, Dinesh is from India, and he had a friend who had worked for 14 years to come to the United States from India. And he, he asked him, he said, why do you want to come to the United States so bad? He said, I want to live in a country where the poor people are fat. <laughs> That's us, isn't it? Man, I, I don't like this big screen right here. I just put on weight. Man, I look up there and it reminds me, my son, when he was about two or three, he's just staring at me. He said, Dad? I said, yeah, Jake. Where's your neck? <laughs> But anyway, so what Walter Rauschenbusch did was he, he took away this idea of the gospel being the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he made the gospel this social outreach. And the idea is that you, that you do the work of Jesus Christ by feeding people and by trying to help them. That's not the work that Jesus Christ did. The work that Jesus Christ sent us to do is to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if we can feed them while we're doing that, praise God. I'm all for that. 
But the problem is ministry has become, somebody will go on a missions trip. What would you do on your missions trip? We built a house for poor people. Or they'll go downtown and they'll say, well, I'm going to the mission. What are you going to do at the mission? I'm going to, I'm going to go to a soup kitchen and I'm going to ladle soup. Here's where this is a problem. It's much easier to ladle soup for someone than to make them aware of their lost and sinful condition before a righteous and holy God. Now, if you can give them some soup to warm their belly and preach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, praise God. But if you're going to leave out the gospel, then you'd better leave out the soup. Because what Walter Rauschenbusch did was he changed the gospel from the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to this social conscience. Now, let me tell you the four things that Rauschenbusch said that Jesus Christ died on the cross for. I think you'll find this interesting. He called these suprapersonal sins, and you're going to recognize this, okay? So the four things, the four societal sins that we had that Jesus needed to die for, militarism, individualism, capitalism, and nationalism. Let me read them again. Militarism, individualism, capitalism, and nationalism. Those are the four macro sins. Do you see why people think we're evil in these leftist churches? And listen to what he said the four embodiments of good are. Pacifism, collectivism, socialism, and internationalism. Do you feel like you're watching the news right now? You're listening to, you know, Nina Pinta Santa Maria Cortez? <laughs> all of this, it's like it all came straight from Walter Rauschenbusch. That, that, doesn't it sound like that? See, what happens is the religion of a nation influences the politics. The faith of a nation influences the politics. See, our founders, they understood individualism. Let me give you the perfect example of this. After 9-11, the first thing that the government did was they took away your fingernail clippers to get on an airplane. Right? You know what our founders would have done? They would have required you to take a weapon before you got on the plane because it's your responsibility to defend it. Why is that? Because when Jesus Christ sent out his disciples, he said, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Do you understand that people don't worship the same Jesus that we worship? Why did he tell them to take a sword? Because it's their responsibility to defend themselves. And then I love this. The, the, the disciples said, well, we have two. And Jesus said, well, that's enough. So we're not supposed to start a militia, build a compound, and go out and kill as many people as we can in the name of Jesus. No, it's our responsibility to defend ourselves. That is the religious, cultural influence that impressed our founders to give us the religious system that, or the political system that we have. And what has happened is this, this distorted view of charity because it infects our churches, it infects the way that we vote, it infects everything that we do. So we really need to understand how does the Bible teach us, what does the Bible teach us about charity? What should we look at? How can we figure this out? So let's look at how charity is defined in the Scriptures. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. 
The Bible says, now as things, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You all see that? So let's read that, those last two words out loud. Charity edifieth. One more time. Charity edifieth. And you know what edifieth means. It's to build up. Charity builds up. How do we build up people in the church? Through discipleship. We build people through discipleship. Remember what discipleship is. A disciple is one who follows Christ with the intent of learning and learns with the intent of obeying. Okay, let me say that again. A disciple is one who follows Christ with the intent to learn and learns with the intent to obey. You know, we don't want to be like those who are just acquiring knowledge, but we have no uh, interest in obeying that. And then the other thing about charity, charity building that person up, charity is love invested. Let me give you a good definition for charity. It's love that gives. It's love that gives. And, but what does love give? That's what we're going to discern. In this idea of charity, charity edifies, a charity builds up. Let's look at how that works. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Charity defined. Look at verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul talking about how he came into these believers in Thessalonica. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Do you see that? Being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. What we're learning is what charity really is. Charity is not giving money. Charity is giving yourself. So here's what Paul said. I didn't only give you the gospel, but I gave you the gospel, and I gave you everything that I am. How many of you see that's a little harder than just putting some money in a plate? See, Satan loves to undermine the truth of the Word of God. He loves to take a vital truth and change it just enough that it loses its power. And that's exactly what's happened with this subject of charity. Charity, it's so important. It's the pinnacle of biblical disciplines. It's the height of our biblical character. And if we don't understand what it is, then we can never be the mature believers that God wants us to be. So in this understanding of charity, and we're defining charity, think about this. It's love invested for the purpose of edification. This is discipleship. Discipleship is where you take the life in Christ that God has given you and you transfer that life to someone else. That's what discipleship is. You know, sometimes we wonder what the work of the Lord is. You know, be steadfast. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
What is the work of the Lord? In John chapter 17, Jesus Christ said, praying to the Father, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. John 17 is before the cross. Remember Jesus Christ, John chapter 19, it is finished. What was finished on the cross? His work of redemption. He had paid my price. He had satisfied the justice of Almighty God with His sacrifice on the cross. That wasn't the work of the Lord. What was the work of the Lord? His men were ready. That's what John 17 is about. He had prepared His men. His disciples were ready. He says, look at it, John 17. Look at John 17 with me real quick. Keep, uh, you don't need to keep 1 Thessalonians. Go to John chapter 17. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Look at this. Here's his evangelism. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. That's evangelism. Then look at what it says. Verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. That's discipleship. You, you get the, remember, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2, 2. What are those things and the things which I have committed to you? The same commit thou to faithful men. Those things, the same commit. Chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, follow after the pattern of sound words. So what you're supposed to do in discipleship is you're supposed to take the words of God that God has put in your heart and in your life, and through an investment of your life and your time, you build someone up in the Word of God. You build someone up in the faith. So you are reproducing a reproducer. So that when you're done discipling that person, they can build someone else up in the Lord so that he gets the glory. See, this is what discipleship is, and this is what charity does. Charity edifies us. It builds us up in the faith. But God, now could God do that without us? Seriously, could he do that without us? But he's chosen not to. He's chosen to do it through us. And I'll tell you what, let me just tell you something. As a pastor, I like what John said. I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. And when you are able to take someone and lead them into the kingdom of God, isn't that a blessing? But when you lead them into a full understanding of what God has for them so that they're ready to take someone else and build them, oh my goodness, you know, it's wonderful to give birth to a child. Now, I've never done that. My wife did, but I was there. Man, it's just such a fantastic thing. But now, my little girl Lydia, prettiest little thing you've ever seen, unbelievable. She's about this big. She's so mean you wouldn't believe. But anyway, prettiest little thing. She's about to graduate from college. She's already got a job. She's hired. She's serving God, loves the Lord. She's going to teach second graders. Man, I got to tell you, Brother Malcolm, it was cool seeing her born. It's amazing seeing her as a godly young woman. You see, this idea of edification, of building someone, how do we do that? I want you to notice something. Paul said you give not only 
the gospel, but our own souls. Look at the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 19. My little children, of whom, look at, I travail in birth, what's that next word? Again, until Christ be formed in you. Do you remember how hard you worked to get that person saved? How hard are you going to work to see Christ formed in them? You know, I don't know about you guys, but I was taught how to give the Romans road. And I'm sure you've been taught how to do that, how, how to give someone, how to share your faith. How many of you have been taught how to give someone the gospel? Did you raise your hands? You've been taught how to do that. Man, and I'm so thankful for doing that. But how many of you understand that there's a big difference between fathering a child and being a father? See, what God wants us to be is spiritual fathers. That's what God wants us to be. Remember 1 John chapter 2, those three levels of spiritual growth are right unto you little children because you know that your sins are forgiven. I write unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. I think of those young men. That's the guys walking through the mall with the letterman jackets on. You know, they've had a few victories. They've had a few victories. And then I, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. See, what God wants to do is he wants to use us to make that little child and then to have them have some victories in their life as young men, but then to see them grounded in the Word and have the capacity to reproduce someone else. That, that doesn't happen quickly. There's a key component. Jesus Christ basically lived with 12 men for three and a half years to produce them. But He really invested in three, Peter, James, and John. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take one and invest in them. And then, now we have two. And we invest in them, now we have four. We invest in them, and now we have eight. That's God's plan for reaching the world. i got to go on, but it's love invested for the purpose of edification. This is discipleship. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Now, you can't, go, you can't talk about charity without 1 Corinthians 13, right? And man, don't, let ever, don't ever let anybody take your Bible from you and say that that word's supposed to be love. We're finding that charity is a very specific word in the Scriptures. Amen? Are you with me on that? Okay. Man, that was weak. Don't let anybody take your Bible from you. Charity is a very specific word in the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Amen. See, I'm really insecure. I need affirmation. So, it would, all right. 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So this is interesting. Charity is love invested using my spiritual gifts, all right? But I want you to see something, that this charity, it eliminates biblical charity, it eliminates our blind spots. It, it's, it's our proper estimation of spiritual gifts. This is discernment. 
See, we are supposed to have discernment. We, what we do is we look at someone who can stand up here and sing beautifully, and we have this idea that they're a better Christian than us because they have that ability to sing. Well, they may be or they may not be. Are they investing their life in someone else? If they're not, then their gift is worthless. There are some people, they're great teachers. They just have this amazing capacity to communicate information. And you look at them and you say, man, I could never do that. That person's got to be more spiritual than me. Are they investing their life in other people? Are they giving themselves rather than simply exercising their spiritual gift? Because here's the thing that I understand, that when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he gave gifts unto men. Anybody saved here tonight? Is anybody saved here tonight? Then you are gifted by God to do something in this church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If you are born again, you are gifted of God to do something special in this local church for the glory of God. But that giftedness, the estimation of the godliness of that giftedness is based on whether or not that you are investing your life in other people. See, it's easy to do the stuff we're gifted at. Talking right here, I I, I could do this when I was three. I don't have to work to do this. I mean, i got to work to love people. Dan and Dodie knew, Dan's awesome, Dodie needs work. No, just kidding. Don't you tell her I said that. That's a joke. This is recorded, strike that. My giftedness, my ability, that's from God. Any ability you have, you can't take credit for it. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no, sh- no variable sh- variableness or something, or shadow of turning. Okay, that was, the, that was the NIV version of that. It's really important that we understand that if I have a gift, God's estimation of that gift is only if I'm doing it with charity. 1 Timothy 1.5, now the end of the commandment is charity, of a pure heart and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, just like it says here, sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. Look at the next verse. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Now, how many of you think that's pretty much the definition of charity the world has? Let's read that first part out loud again so we can make sure we're talking about it. You ready? Everybody out loud. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. Now, look at this. And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Two different statements. If I, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not charity... It profits me nothing. That means that bestowing my goods to feed the poor is not charity. Do you remember what I said? Devotions? You remember counsel? Charity. Whatever the, whatever the popular Christianity says about a subject, the Bible probably says the opposite. We ought to give money to the poor. We ought to give money to help God's work. That's God's plan. But if I am not giving myself, man, it profits nothing. Let me give you an example of this. Has anyone heard of Latimer and Ridley, the two guys that were burned at the stake in the, in the Reformation under Bloody Mary? They're famous because uh, Hugh Latimer said to, to Nicholas Ridley, he said, uh, cheer up, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. This day will light a candle that shall light all of England. And then they, they died. They were burned at the stake. And that's a famous thing. It happened in Oxford, England in 1555. Hugh Latimer wrote in a sermon, he had heard about Anabaptists, our forefathers, being killed, being burned. And he said, 
They, they were going to the flames. Well, let them go. Nicholas Ridley at Joan Butcher, an Anabaptist uh, trial. He judged her guilty of death. Is that charity? No. No. So what is the biblical estimation? What does God say is the value of their sacrifice? Profitless. Look, look, at, look at the text. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You see, we have to understand that, when, when we, that biblical charity, it gives us discernment about spiritual gifts. What does God value in the church? It, you can give yourself to be burned. You can be a martyr. But if you don't love God's people, profitless. Let's go on. So it's love invested for the purpose of edification. This is discipleship. It's, it's using our gifts properly. This is discernment. But then look at the next verse. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Think about this. Charity is love invested, expecting nothing in return. It's love invested, expecting nothing in return. Preacher didn't say hi to me this week. I've been in the nursery for three straight weeks. Those kids are awful. Nobody said thank you. Are you doing it for the thanks? Are you doing it? Because when you invest in that child, maybe mom and dad can get saved that day. Maybe that marriage will be saved that day because what was preached was just what they needed are you doing it for the glory of God? Are you doing it out of a sacrificial heart? Or are you doing it so someone can say thanks? You get up and sing, and man, you're, you're just into it. Are you doing it to get glory? Are you doing it because maybe the message of that song will get through someone's heart in a way that the preaching of the Word couldn't that day? Why are you doing it? Why are you working out in the parking lot? Why are you out there? What, what, what are you doing? If maybe your direction to that person helps make that visit a little bit more comfortable for that person so that when they come in and then they meet the greeter and they're brought in and somebody sits down with them and welcomes them, are you doing that so the preacher can come and pat you on the head and say, oh, you're such a good little church member? Or are you doing it because maybe that investment that maybe that investment will bring someone to Jesus. Just, let's go on. It's love invested, expecting nothing in return. This one right here. Just look at the verses here with me, if you would. Verse 7. So we're still talking about charity, right? Charity beareth. What are those next two words? I can't take you anymore. I'm sick of you. I don't love you anymore. It's not charity, folks. Look at what it says. Charity, look, look verse 7 again, beareth all things, believeth all things. Look at this. Hopeth all things, 
endureth. But you don't know what she did to me. But you don't know what he did to me. Now, can I just stop here for a second? You never have to take physical abuse in a relationship. So whenever I talk about this, sometimes people think that when we try to save marriages, that we think that you ought to be a punching bag. That's the farthest thing from the truth. If you're being physically abused, get out of that. That's not what I'm talking about. But this idea, you don't know what he did to me. I just don't love her anymore. That's not biblical charity. See, charity is love invested beyond my human capacity. This is divine. This is divine. I have seen God save marriages that I didn't think there was any way that they could be saved. And now these people are pictures and models of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness. That's who we're supposed to be. This is love invested beyond my human capacity. This is divine. Notice what the text says again. Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. Look at what it says in verse 7 again. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. One of my favorite illustrations of charity, there's a church, First African Baptist Church in Philadelphia. It was founded in 1809. In 1832, there was a man who was preaching in Virginia, and his name was, was James Burroughs. That church wanted to call James Burroughs to be their pastor. The only problem was he was a slave. And so he would preach all through his area, but when they called him to be the pastor, his master wouldn't let him go. Now, can you imagine even saying that? How many of you can imagine being owned by someone else? I can't, I can't even comprehend that. So listen to what happened. There were two men in the church, Joshua and Samuel Bivens. They traveled from Philadelphia to Virginia and presented themselves to that slave owner to become slaves for their church, for their pastor, for their Lord. Is there a better example of giving yourself? That's charity. That's charity. That's love invested for the edification of others. It's a proper estimation of spiritual gifts. It's discernment. It's love beyond human capacity. It's divine. It's, it's unbelievable that they would do that. Another story, there was a man named Felix Manns. He was an Anabaptist in Switzerland. And he would dispute with, with the Lutheran leader, a man named Ulrich Zwingli. And Zwingli, he passed judgment on him. If he wants to be baptized, let him be baptized. And so they were going to drown him in the river. So there was a fishing platform. And so he was bound, hands and feet, with chains, with a rope around his neck. And there was a man out in the boat, the executioner, holding that rope, getting ready to pull him into the water. And there was screaming coming from the shore. It was Felix Manns' mother. What do you think she was saying? Felix, be faithful. Felix, be steadfast. That's charity. 
because she loved the truth more than she loved being able to hold her son. See, we can't even comprehend that because we don't understand biblical charity. It's, this is why it's the pinnacle of Christian disciplines. This is not for baby Christians. This is for full-grown believers. This is for people who are serious about the Christian faith. This is who we are supposed to be. Folks, this isn't a game. We, we are in this world. We are supposed to be light in this world. And it happens by the way that we live. What did Jesus said? They'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Is that what Jesus Christ said? Now notice, there's 400 people here tonight or whatever. I can't love all you, but I can love another. How many of you can love another? See, God never asks us anything. He doesn't give us the ability to do. This is what charity is. Let me give you one more illustration of it, and I'll be done. Again, in Switzerland, 1593, there was a man named Jacob Habiger. He was a farmer. And he was out mending a fence one day, and his neighbor, Kurt Luthi, led him to the Lord Jesus. And so they had, a, they had a church on their farm there, and so he came, and he started growing in the Lord, and he started testifying, and he started preaching on the farms, going around. And so he was arrested by the Protestants. You know, you weren't allowed to be a, a Baptist there. And so he was arrested, and he was taken, and he was tortured for three months because he was a Baptist, and he recanted, gave up the faith. Well, he got home Friday, but on Sunday, his son Hans was going to get baptized. And the record says it this way, his son Hans was allowing himself to be baptized. Because, you know, when you baptize a baby, what do you get? A wet baby, right? I like to say, if you can show me a baby being baptized in the Bible, I'll eat it. You'll say, which one, the Bible or the baby? Both. It's not in there. I don't have to worry about it. And so his son Hans was being baptized, and Jacob got under conviction, came forward, and Wilhelm Grusey was preaching that day, and he said, I denied the faith. So he had the men come around him. And they laid their hands on him. And they prayed that Jacob could remain steadfast. Now, how many of you want to remain steadfast? So the next thing that happened was the, the city took two of his children and sold them into slavery as a penalty. How many of you love your kids? How many of you love the Lord? Next thing that happened, 1601, they burned his house down. 1604, they took his precious wife, Anne Marie, and put her in prison for eight months and tortured her. She died in May of 1605. Jacob kept preaching. He kept preaching. He was taken to Traxelwald Castle. I've been there. The torture room is still there. They put him in this torture room, and they, they put him in his hands and stocks, his feet and stocks, his hands and chains, his feet and stocks, a hole cut in the bottom of the table. And he stayed there for seven years. Tortured. That, that castle, you can, take, you can look at it online, Traxelwald Castle. It's up on a hill, up on a mountain. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. But there's no windows. There's, there's, there's openings. There's no glass. So he'd sing praises and preach the gospel from that bed. After seven years, they realized he wasn't going to recant. So they kept him in Traxelwald, but they got him out of his bonds and Somebody got him paper and pencils, and he wrote gospel tracts about faithfulness and the love of Jesus. He stayed in there for 14 years and died in that place. But that testimony, those tracts that he wrote, were used in that area in Switzerland for 100 years to help people be faithful. 
for a hundred years to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that is? Charity. It's love invested for the purpose of edification, discipleship. It's love invested using your spiritual gifts, but it's discerning those gifts. It's, it's love invested, expecting nothing in return. That's really devotion. That's devoting yourself to God. And then it's love invested beyond your human capacity, and this is truly divine. I think of my son, Jacob. Lydia, Jacob, they're just my two children. Jacob's a sophomore in college, and he's going to intern for me at the church this summer. I just can't tell you how much I love him. I just smile thinking about him. He's such a smart aleck, you wouldn't believe the way he wears me out. Man, I love this kid. I can't imagine Jacob chains and chains and a rope around his neck, getting ready to be pulled into the ice-cold river and die, and me saying, Jacob, stay faithful. Now, let me just tell you something. I pray to God I never have to make that choice. But I would hope that I would have biblical charity in that moment. See, if you love your children more than you love God, that's idolatry. Let me say that again. If you love your children more than you love God, that is idolatry. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Charity distorted, Walter Rauschenbusch. Charity defined, we've looked at it. Charity demonstrated. Look at John chapter 15. John 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know that passage, it says, he that was rich became poor for us. Charity. If it's the pinnacle of Christian disciplines, let me ask you a question. Where are you on this level of spiritual growth? Man, that's a brutal question. I don't want to answer it, but we all need to answer it before a righteous and holy God. Amen? Amen. 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 Give the Lord praise and glory. Let's all stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Now, I want everybody to look at me real fast. We, we got, he, see, he quit way too early. <clears throat> uh, uh, here's the deal. Everybody look at me. I want everybody's attention because I, I need you to understand this. How many of y'all was here Sunday? How many of y'all was here Sunday? How many of y'all remember available, expendable, adaptable, right? That's all of them, wasn't it? three of them it was do you want to be used by God do you want to be used by God and and what an incredible message I, I listened to it some of it in between Sunday school and Sunday morning when I preached I was there on the front row and, and everybody's around me and I'm, I'm watching y'all on live stream on the front row of the church and I, I listened to the rest of it on my way home for y'all and, and 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 I'm telling you it was a great message I called I called brother Doug on my way home from Ohio and told him how much I appreciate and what a blessing it was. But this is what I want you to see. For a year now, we've been going through the continue book. What, what, what is the continue book? What kind of book is it? A what? 
Come on, everybody. Discipleship book. What has God said to us in the first part of this year? We're going deeper. We're going to grow. We're not going to stay babies. We're not going to stay toddlers. We're not going to stay young children in the Word. What did he say that charity was? It was a full-grown. Did y'all get that? This was a mature look. What is God doing with us? And here's the thing. God is presenting opportunities that we're going to be able to share with you in a little bit. Uh, God wants us to plant churches. God wants us to reproduce ourselves. But we cannot plant churches or reproduce ourselves if we're not investing, if we're not discipling. That which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. If we don't love people... that's what charity was. You remember what he said? Investing yourself, grabbing somebody and teaching them and training them and developing them and giving them the word so that they can go forth and start another place. God was, God is presenting opportunities for us, but if we don't do this, who are we going to send? Who, who are we going to? Let's just say this. Somebody gives us a building, say, here's a building, plant a church. Okay, who are we going to send if we don't reproduce ourselves? If we don't invest what God is giving? Listen, God didn't give you this great place. This ain't about you. This is not about me. Brother Craig, Brother Craig, y'all remember Dr. Craig, he's going to come to our Bible conference in September. And, and, and he said, son, God didn't bless you and bless temple the way he did for you. And he didn't. It's not about me. God God has put his hand on this place, and he's winning people in this place. He's blessed us with an awesome auditorium, an awesome talent, not so we can sit here and soak it up every Sunday. Because when you soak and sit, you sour. Amen? How many of y'all have ever heard of the Dead Sea? Come on, I've seen it. I floated in it. Dad took some water out of it and tried to smuggle it home, and they caught him in Germany. He was so mad. <laughs> I said, Dad, put it in your luggage so they don't see it. And then it, he put it in his overnight bag. A clear bottle of salty water that was thick that looked like nitroglycerin. <laughs> I thought, oh, Lord Jesus. Do you realize there's nothing in the, in the Dead Sea? Nothing. No life. You know why? Because there's an inlet, but not an outlet. But you know what? You go way on up that Jordan River, you'll get to the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the most beautiful places you'll ever be. And it's teeming with life. You know why? If you go on past it, you'll go on up to Caesarea Philippi where we, where we uh, uh, got to where the Jordan River begins. Crystal clear water where it begins, comes out. I smuggled some bottles of that, amen. <laughs> I'm selling it for holy water, amen. <laughs> I'm kidding, I didn't do it. I didn't do that. But that clear water comes down into the Sea of Galilee and it feeds the Sea of Galilee, but then it has an outlet if all you ever do is come and have an inlet and you don't take out and share and invest in somebody else what I'm investing in you you're going to be like the Dead Sea listen 
there's a reason. I, I sat. I'm telling you, 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 you got to get this. I know where we're going. I know what God's putting in my head. I know the visions he's given me. And I know we're, we're, we're planning church. This is the last building you ever see, God's willing. And I will say Lord's willing because I said a lot of stuff that never, never, and he made, he made me understand that wasn't. So Lord's willing, this will probably be the last building we ever build. But we're going to invest in you and go out and plant churches. Wouldn't it be great to have our church get smaller every year? Some of y'all went, oh, no, we'll replenish. But wasn't it great for, for, for several families to leave every year to go plant another church? Go plant another. We can't do that unless we're discipling and investing what we have into them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I sat there Monday night, and, and he was sharing this message Monday night. Right after, Sunday afternoon, I heard, available, expendable, adaptable. Man, I'm, I'm about ready to drive the truck off the road, man. Use us, Lord, use us, you know. And then I go into the, I go into the service Monday night and, and see this is a full-grown love. This, this is a mature, this is charity. This is investing love that gives. And I started thinking, this is why God wants us to go through Continue Book. Now, who are you going to invest in? Who are you going to take the book with? Listen, this is what it's all about. We got some exciting news coming up in the future. But it will never come to pass unless we get what he just said. Now, I want y'all, hey, he wasn't bad for a Yankee, was it? <clears throat> all right. All right. Come on. Give God praise. Give God praise. All right. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Let him know you, you, you enjoyed it. And uh, if you didn't, slip him a 10. <clears throat> now, if you come out here with $200 or $300, you know, you're going to have to tighten up. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for.